This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. And thanks for being with us all week long. And there's a lot going on. you got the president overseas and huge uh, huge things going on here at home. Yeah, there's only 13% of you think the country's going in the right direction. I understand that. But that's why I think we got to solve problems but also define what they are. Lauren Cimena, to me, is in the heart of the problem, and that is American oil production. She's going to be joining us in 15 minutes uh, from Texas, right? She's in Texas. She's in Texas, actually in an oil rig. And this is an industry that has been vilified. It's a windfall profits. They won't let prices come down. Gas station owners are the issue. 9% inflation is the issue. Rising gas prices, rising dollar per barrel prices are the issue. We could solve it. We're choosing not to. And that fact is totally disingenuous coming from the White House. And Senator Tom Cotton at the bottom of the hour. A lot of people think Senator Tom Cotton should be making moves to run for president. We'll talk about all that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We're all given a moment in time, and we want to make the best of the moment. And uh, I don't want to pass this moment with a partner in the White House. And there's no greater partner than the Biden administration. Really? Gavin Newsom playing politics. Newsom spent a day at the White House while the president was away. And Trump is about to announce a plan to get back into the White House. What do both moves mean for both parties? Is it good or bad? And do either have a shot at winning in 2024? Number two. One of the things that has happened is over the last 30 days, the, the, the price of gas has fallen every day. That wasn't fully reflected in the CPI data for June that came uh, out yesterday. And so that, that data is inherently backward looking. Brian Deese, Aspen Institute, talking about the state of the game. Economy takes another body blow and not a person in this administration seems up to the task to fixing it. Instead, they spin it. What it all means for you and how you vote in November. Number one. We've laid out for, for, for the leadership of Iran what we're willing to accept in order to get back in the JCPOA. We're waiting for the response, but we are not going to wait forever. What deal? What? We gave them a deal? We made them an offer? The president meets the pariah that's Saudi Arabia after casually mentioning he offered Iran a get out of nuke jail free card. What is the deal? And what does he not realize that will make or break his meeting with MBS? So my point of this is 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 this. I think the, uh, to get uh, involved with Iran in a nuclear deal, a mutual trust is nuts. I thought about it when it was when it was released by President Obama and signed, but it was never re- verified and ratified. You know why? Because Democrats didn't want it. Didn't get a majority of votes in a uh, among Democrats. Cardin, Schumer, no. Uh, Menendez, no. So now the deal is even worse. So why do I know about the deal? All of a sudden, we're watching the president, and he gets a question at a press conference, and they said, you know, you said you offered a nuclear deal. How long are you going to wait for them to accept it or reject it? 
I'm not going to wait forever. I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, you got a deal? Yeah, President of the United States made a deal. He offered Iran reportedly an aid package of $275 billion uh, in, involved in this package. And, of course, it has all these uh, guarantees of not being able to weaponize uranium over a certain grade. I'm not a nuclear scientist, don't want to be. But they're going to get all types of money, incentives, and be able to sell their oil on the world market to release of almost all sanctions, an ability to still use ballistic missiles, a uh, ability to still consider uh, financing and perpetrating their terrorist activities. And then they get $800 billion over five years and a trillion by 2030 if they stay nuclear free. Really? Israel hates this deal. Saudi Arabia hates this deal. You pretend to be an ally. That's not going to stab them in the back. By doing this deal, what does he not understand about stabbing them in the back? And that's what the president is doing with this four-day trip. So today, and I understand it, different parties have different feelings. This is not the time for a two-state solution. The Palestinians have not been legitimate partners. Israelis are not perfect, but they're a democracy. They will be open to a legitimate peace with the Palestinians, but they're run by a terrorist organization whose main goal is to never recognize Israel's right to exist and make sure that one day they control all of Israel proper. That's not the way it's ever going to be. So the president leaves, unlike Donald Trump, leaves the Israelis behind, and today was with Mahmoud Abbas, where he talked about Jerusalem being a capital for all. To me, not good. He made those remarks from Bethlehem. Cut four. As I stand with you today, now as President of the United States, my commitment to that goal of a two-state solution has not changed in all these years. Two states along the 1967 lines were mutually agreed to swaps, remain the best way to achieve uh, equal measure of security, prosperity, freedom, and democracy for the Palestinians as well as Israelis. The Palestinian people deserve a state of their own that's independent, sovereign, viable, and contiguous. Good luck with that. Uh, Gaza and the West Bank don't talk to each other, two separate forms of government. And right now the Israelis... Don't they, they don't even have the Arab world behind them on this movement. And for now, nothing against the Palestinian people. They've done nothing to earn the loyalty of the rest of the Arab world. So put them on hold for now. Why the president's rekindling this? That's for him to decide. I will do not think it's a wise move. He obviously does. But I think the Israelis and the Saudis, the UAEs, the Bahrain, Morocco, most Arab nations not named Syria agree the Iran not getting a nuclear weapon is not going to be talked out. They have to fear a legitimate military action will be the response. And you heard one suggestion yesterday with Ambassador Ross will be the response if they, in fact, get a nuclear weapon and uh, and have the uranium weaponized to the point where they can make a nuclear weapon. The point is any day now, the U.N., according to the U.N., will use the lose the ability to monitor Iran's nuclear activities. They're sunsetting it. The deal that we did not approve, Iran doesn't seem to want, thankfully. And then when it comes to Iran in particular, this is where President Biden differs from the Israeli government. Even though it's just a interim government, they are on the same page here. Here's the president talking about dealing with Iran. Cut nine. Today, you and I also discussed America's commitment to ensuring Iran never obtains a nuclear weapon. This is a vital security interest to both Israel and the United States, and I would add, for the rest of the world as well. 
I continue to believe that diplomacy is the best way to achieve this outcome. And we'll continue to work with Israel. Right. Diplomacy. Not really. Israeli Prime Minister Lapid doesn't feel that way uh, and feels as though diplomacy will never work. Here he is. Cut seven. They want to destroy the only Jewish state in the world. That we will never let that happen. Words will not stop them, Mr. President. Diplomacy will not stop them. The only thing that will stop Iran is knowing that if they continue to develop their nuclear program, the free world will use force. The only way to stop them is to put a credible military threat on the table. Do you see the word credible military threat on the table? I was with Ambassador Friedman, who served there for four years under President Trump in the green room yesterday, waiting to go on with Larry Kudlow. And we watched it live together. And he said, we watched the clip together. And he said, do you hear the word credible military threat? And I said, yeah. He said, the problem is the president could talk tough, but there's no plan. The Iranians need to know that there is a plan to blow up that facility. And I bring back to our show yesterday, Ambassador Ross says, I have an idea. You give, there's a a weapon that we have in our arsenal, not a bunker buster, but a mountain buster. And that is where the nuclear plant is, in a mountain. You give that bomb to the Israelis. And you let them know, if you make a nuclear weapon, they will drop that bomb and blow it up before you get to that point. That would bring them to the table. That is called a legitimate military threat that makes them, gets their attention and makes them deal legitimately. And the fact is, in the remarks, when he said credible military threat, that was a message to the president, we know you don't have one. And when he said words don't work, that is a direct rebuke to this president. I know Harry Truman recognized Israel, and since that time, American Israelis, American, the American Jewish community has been loyal to the Democratic Party. But the Democratic Party, at all ages, is pulling away from Israel, especially in their 20s and even the 78-year-old. Nothing, his loyalty does not compare to George W. Bush. It does not compare to uh, the 44th president, 45th president, Donald Trump. And we'll talk about that. I'm going to take a time out and come back and find out what the real reason is for the president to go over and make this trip. He's asking the Saudis to pump more. Why don't we pump more? Lauren Simonetti is on an oil rig to talk about that and how the oil industry feels about the rebuke. Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. 
a talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. They talk about energy independence in America, and we have all the resources to be energy independent, but we're not. There are 12 billion barrels of oil yet to be produced in the Permian Basin alone. The permits are 12 months. We've talked a lot about that. How do we navigate this when we have been demonized and nobody wants to put new capital in, and then all of a sudden it's not flipping the switch, especially when it takes 12 months? Our president is over there today sucking up to the crown prince, and, you know, he's going to be asking him for more oil, I'm sure. If I'm a betting man, I'm saying it's not going to happen. Uh, I don't think they can do it. I think it's pretty clear they don't have the capacity. Lawrence Simonetti's in a great place right now, Midland, Texas. It's uh, the oil capital of the country, certainly of Texas, uh, with a bunch of Texas oil producers who are frustrated. Lauren, I saw you with your hard hat on this morning. Allison called you. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. So what, Absolutely. what, what was your mission? Capacity, what right? was your mission going down? We used your sound bites that you're able to get talking about those in the business who are frustrated by the, the rhetoric out of Washington. What's the reality about the American oil business, uh, oil industry, and what they can and can't be doing right now? The reality is, when you look at the administration's own data, that we are going to need more and more fossil fuel, more and more oil, more and more hydrocarbons by the year 2050. We will need renewables, too, but we are increasing how much fossil fuel we consume in the U.S., and we are doing nothing to ensure that we can do it cheaper. So this is going to be a problem from now until using the Energy Information Administration's own data until the year 2050. What do you mean by um, doing it cheaper? What do you mean by doing it cheaper? Well, if we were able to unleash right where I am, right here in the Permian Basis, I'm on the West Texas side, there are 12 billion barrels of untapped oil underneath me. Why would these companies the privates are doing it more than the publics because there's less demands on them. So you've got a lot of players here, private and public. Why would any of them, even the ones who are unfettered like the privates, tap into it when they're being told by the administration that they want to be put out of business in the next couple of years? Um, you need a lot of capital. It's a capital-intense industry. Banks don't, don't want to lend to them. It's increasingly difficult for them to get money to expand. They have to spend $12,000 per permit. In Texas, that's not really a big deal. But if you go to the New Mexico side, it is. Because what they do, um, it's better for the environment and it's more productive for them if you drill down further. So you go 10,000 feet down and then you go 10,000 feet out horizontally for the fracking, right? Right. Um, if you're in New Mexico, as you're going down so far, that's, that's the furthest they really go and it, it's new, you you hit the state permits, then you hit federal permits as you're trying to do this. You sit on that permit for a year. It takes a year for, for the federal government to approve that. Right. So you have these drillers of all, of all sizes saying, well, what am I supposed to do with that? Am I going to be in business in the next year? I hear you. Uh, and I hear, too, of course, these green organizations and these political organizations suppressing the Black Rocks, the vanguards, the... Uh, the major investment uh, firms, to not invest in fossil fuels. So there's political pressure on them not to do something that will provide profit, ideally, logically, in many cases, for investors, big and small. But they're not. 
Now yeah. there's a movement in Congress to push back on them and empower state officials to stop doing business with any firm that won't invest in fossil fuels. So there's going to be a pushback against it. But it's been devastating the lack of money to finance drilling and oil because of an ideology of pu- a push for green technology. And, and, and here's the thing. If you talk to anybody in the oil industry, particularly the five CEOs that I spoke to yesterday, they say the same thing. We fish. We camp. We hike. We love the environment. We own Teslas. We're all about renewable energies. But let us be part of the solution to keep fossil fuel in existence as we make this natural market-driven transition of the future. That's their message over and over again. And when you look at the president going to Saudi Arabia, by the way, there's not much spare capacity in OPEC. The likelihood of the Saudis saying, yeah, we'll pump more, um, it's slim. You know, I'm hearing if they agree to something, it's not going to be unilateral. It's going to be part of the next OPEC plus deal the next meeting in, 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 in August. Um, so they don't have much spare capacity. We have much more oil than them. There are no environmental restrictions in Saudi Arabia. In New Mexico, um, you have to, um, less than 2% of your gas, gas volumes can be flared. And some of the companies that I spoke to said, we're at less than 1%. We really can't do this any cleaner than we're doing it right now. So use our clean oil, let us help you Bring down the price of energy for everybody, and it's not just the gas that goes into your car. It's in most products that you use as well. So, so it's kind of like yeah. – did, did I tell you the story, Brian? Um, and this just adds insult to injury. So labor is a huge issue here right? with every industry. You go to one drill site, there's probably about 100, 120 vendors that are working on the site. Everyone from literally they have a company, a truck, that goes around and puts water on the, on the dirt. So it's less dusty. Okay. So you get the idea. Every single one of them says, like every industry, the supply chain's a problem. We can't find labor. We can't find workers. So they go all over the U.S. to do this. And they're, they're bringing a lot of guys in from other places and they need to provide housing for them. Right. They sit in these like, um, I, I went to them. They're, they're nice. They're nice yeah. trailer parks, if you will. It's $65 per worker per night. Well, I'm 150 miles from the border, and the illegal immigrants are being bused here, and they're being put in those encampments for $750 a night. 65 versus the federal government paying 750 One guy said, well, you know what? I took the 750 And another guy said, no way. My wife wouldn't let me. We're, we're, we're giving that federal money up, and we're making sure that we can house the oil workers because this is our industry. This is our country. That's patriotism. To me, it goes over profits. But that story just adds insult to injury. They're trying so hard to get the labor. They, they have to find places for them to live. And then the government comes in, and they're, they're putting illegals there. It's just sickening, uh, and it's anti-American, it's anti-capitalist, and it's also hurting our country, and that's a whole other issue. Real quick, Lauren Simonetti uh, in Midland, Texas, uh, we have 30 seconds. When they say there's 9,000 unused leases and the president says, I'm going to take them away, what, what's the reaction in the oil business? Uh, gosh, the rea- they, they, they don't believe any of that information. They said not, not all of that is um, drillable. You know, a lot of the public companies are sitting on those because it's not worth it to do anything with them because they feel like they're being driven out of business. That's not what some of their investors want. So that's their answer. Gotcha. I mean, I, one guy I spoke to yesterday, he's, he has 15 rigs. He's not operating three of them right now 
because he just doesn't think it makes economic sense for him to do so. Lauren, thanks for doing this story. Thanks for telling our listeners what really is happening. Thank you so much. Bye. You got it. All right, Brian. Good to see you. Have a good weekend. You too. Senator Tom Cotton next. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Negotiations are nearly complete, and for all intents and purposes, there is a deal done. It's on the table. You heard the president say that now the onus is on Iran to decide whether they want to comply with this deal or not. I won't get into speculating about uh, uh, what actually will occur or putting a timeline on it. I will just tell you that negotiations are nearly complete. There is a deal on the table, um, and we just need Iran uh, to accept that deal. Excuse me. The deal's on the table. The president blurts that out. His spokesperson just reconfirms it. What's this deal? Not even Democrats, I understand, are briefed on it. So many were against it originally. It's got to be worse now. The U.N., as I mentioned before, as of the middle of July, which is now, said they will go totally dark with inspections and cameras. They'll have no idea where the Iranian nuclear program is at. And what is this deal? Well, in the New York Post yesterday, in an editorial... Uh, This uh, Richard Goldberg writes, the deal includes a package of two hundred and seventy five billion dollars to Iran in year one, eight hundred billion over the next five years and a trillion in 2030 if they stay nuclear free. Joining me now, Senator Tom Cotton, intelligence, armed services, ranking member of the subcommittee on criminal justice, former infantry officer. Senator, first off, what is your reaction to what Kirby told us and the president blurted out two days ago? Well, Brian, it's just another example in a long line of appeasement and conciliation of Iran. The nuclear deal with Iran was terrible when it started in 2015. And it's even worse now because most of the key deadlines and sunsets have already been passed or are going to be passed in the next year or two. Yet Joe Biden continues this farce of negotiations. Uh, he's let the negotiations become an end in themselves. And in the meantime, as you outlined, Iran is just racing to accumulate enough enriched uranium that it could have a rapid nuclear breakout. It's long past time not only to walk away from these nuclear negotiations, but to make it clear that the United States will not tolerate Iran's campaign of terror and imperial aggression throughout the Middle East. Our relationship with some of our partners in the Middle East are somewhat frayed. That is in no small part because of what Barack Obama and Joe Biden have done to embrace Iran over the last decade while turning their back on our traditional partners and allies in the Middle East. Here's what Israeli Prime Minister Lapid said yesterday to the president. Cut eight. You have said many times, Mr. President, that big countries do not bluff. I completely agree. It should not be a bluff, but the real thing, the Iranian regime must know that if they continue to deceive the world, they will pay a heavy price. But he went on to say they need to know there's a legitimate military threat. So far, there is no plan that they believe that we have that would get Iran's attention, especially the way we left Afghanistan. Yeah, Brian, I don't think that uh, our enemies in Iran or for that matter around the world take Joe Biden's word uh, with uh, much weight. Um, There's no question that Iran is not a genuine military threat to the United States and certainly not acting in concert with our partners in the region where we have multiple bases. 
Um, it's a question of Joe Biden's credibility and resolution. Um, I, I'll remind you of a, a time in the 1980s during the so-called tanker wars when Iran kept mining the Persian Gulf um, during its war with Iraq. And uh, we, uh, uh, one of our uh, or one of the Kuwaiti ships that had been reflagged as a U.S. ship hit one of those mines, and Ronald Reagan destroyed an oil platform that was being used to facilitate those attacks. A reporter asked President Reagan if we were now at war with Iran, and he laughed and said, no, they would never do something so stupid. It's the exact same thing you saw, Brian, after President Trump authorized the strike that killed their terrorist mastermind, Qasem Soleimani. They shot a few feckless missiles into Iraq, and that was the end of the matter because they were scared to death of what a strong American president would do to them if they escalated. Yet they've taken the measure of Joe Biden, just like they did with Barack Obama, and they know that they can get away with murder. They can literally get away with murder. So let's pivot to the economy, and we'll see what the president comes up with as he goes behind closed doors with the Saudis today. Uh, with pivot to the economy, uh, now we have 9% inflation. We have It's a number I never thought I would actually see in my lifetime. I obviously hope not to. And then we have the Consumer Price Index, which is going higher than anybody thought, and I think it's up 0.2 month to month, and it was supposed to be uh, 10.1, 10.7%. It is now 11.3% in June. So Janet Yellen was forced to answer the question in in Indonesia, what's going on with this, Uh, with the inflation, CPI, and PPI reports? Cut 19. Our greatest challenge today comes from Russia's illegal and unprovoked war against Ukraine. That was reflected in yesterday's CPI data, which showed almost half of the increase coming from higher energy prices. Inflation in the United States remains unacceptably high, and it's our administration's... You get it. They said they're going to keep it down. Really? Number one, it's not not in our interest to make Russia uh, the, the boogeyman that's costing American families such a high price if you want to sustain this policy that you have of backing the ukrainians it's not in your best interest to continue that you're trying to turn the public against you number two is just not accurate senator yeah brian inflation in america is driven by one key factor and that's the democrats massive spending bills they're still trying to pour trillions of dollars more uh onto this historically inflated economy um Joe Biden likes to blame everyone but himself for inflation and for his other failures, though. You know, he blames, uh, for instance, the uh, Putin price hike. Well, you know, we had inflation well before Vladimir Putin launched his war of aggression against Ukraine. Or he blames Donald Trump's tariffs on China. Well, we had those tariffs well before we ever got inflation. It's funny that the thing that inflation correlates most directly with is Joe Biden taking office last January. Um, and most importantly, because it's the most dangerous and pernicious kind of inflation is energy inflation, because energy affects everything. Just look at the price of your groceries, Brian. Farmers have to pay for diesel and fertilizer and pesticide, all of which is based on various forms of uh, gas or other petroleum products. Then truckers have to drive their commodities to the grocery stores. The grocery stores have to pay for the electricity to keep the lights on and run the refrigerators and run the freezers. Energy inflation pervades the entire economy, and that's the one area where Joe Biden and the Democrats have intentionally driven up the price of energy. They said this during the campaign, Brian. It wasn't an accident. They said they're going to end fossil fuels in America, from which we get almost 70 percent of all of our energy. 
Um, this is a direct result of the Democrats' ideological opposition to fossil fuels. It's not the result of Saudi Arabia or Putin's price hike or Donald Trump's tariffs or anything else. It's the result of the Democrats' policy. And by the way, we have an opportunity here. Nobody knows this better than you because you're all over the China situation. Do you know their economy is tanking again? Do you know their unemployment is uh, almost 20 percent among new college graduates? Do you know their growth is about 0.5 percent and they're beginning to shut down with their idiotic zero COVID strategy? They're about to shut down a portion of their economy again. We have an opportunity now to assert ourselves and use the assets that we have, even though the world economy pays a price when when China tanks because they were so glued into everything. Don't you don't in Congress? Do you see this as an opportunity? Yeah, and Brian, just remember, anytime you uh, see those statistics coming out of China, you should probably discount them by a substantial factor because they're almost always fudged and scrubbed to make the Chinese economy look better than it is. Um, China's economy is still growing, just not as fast as it always has been, but it's slowing down. But that does give us a chance to hopefully reset some of the terrible taxing and spending and regulatory policies of the Biden Democrats and get our economy growing once again and get inflation under control. Because that's the primary domain where China hopes to replace us as the world's superpower. They are building an army and a navy that's prepared to defeat us, but they would rather defeat us and replace us without ever having to confront us on the field of battle. That's why they use economic mercantilism to try to overcome our economic might in the world. Yeah, we got to be a little bit less greedy with these uh, our international companies. High unemployment, they got a housing crisis, sluggish spending, they got massive lockdowns. They only expanded 0.4 uh, percent this year. And lastly. I don't think I have to tell you that a lot of people are sp- talking about you as possibly running for president. Have you given some cl- uh, uh, some quality time, that thought? <laughs> well, I, I always am flattered uh, and appreciative when people ask me about that or encourage me to do so, Brian. Uh, just uh, last week I was uh, uh, in Arkansas and in Iowa, and I heard some of that as well. But uh, a drill sergeant of mine used to always tell us to – Focus on the 25-meter target first and worry about the uh, longer targets later. And right now, the 25-meter target is winning back the House and the Senate this fall. So I'll keep my uh, efforts dedicated to the next election and future elections I'll address when we get to the future. The president of the United States, uh, the former president, says he is just a matter of when. It looks like he's going to run. He says he might decide to announce in September. Would that be helpful or hurtful for the midterms? Uh, Brian, each one of these races is going to be decided based on the conditions in the country, and they're pretty bad right now because of Joe Biden, and also the conditions in each individual state. We have great candidates uh, all across the country, but they're in pretty far-flung states as well, whether it's Nevada to Georgia or Arizona to New Hampshire. So our candidates are going to run the races that they need to be voices for their people in their home states, and I'm confident um, that we're going to win most of those races. Somebody else is not waiting, but there's a lot of speculation, and he embraces it. If you look at if you look at the way he holds himself, he looks like a president. If you look at his report card, he's probably the last person that's run for president. He's been a horrible governor. He was a terrible mayor. He is a lazy, bad, uh, uh, bad at policy, and only interested in, I think, uh, I don't know, hypocrisy. But it didn't stop him from waltzing into the White House with his jacket off. He's asked about that White House visit. Cut 32. 
Gavin Newsom. Uh, talking about the number one issue in California, which is mental health and homelessness. What's happening on the streets, sidewalks, opportunities in L.A. County in particular uh, to not just highlight the problem, but to focus on solutions. And what I was focused on is what can we do together that's big and bold, demonstrable, where people can see the results specifically in L.A. County. And does that mean more money's coming? It's, it's money, it's resources, but it's resourcefulness, meaning there's a lot of money floating out there. I mean, I'll be honest, if, if I was watching this and I just hear politicians talking about more, 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 I mean, you've been hearing that from folks like me for a decade. Right. We've been spending records amounts of money, and people are looking and saying it's worse than ever. So it's really just targeting our efforts, it's focusing them, and I think that's, that's the opportunity and niche. So he's talking about uh, the homelessness. He actually welcomes homeless. He invited homeless there. He sets up encampments. He doesn't let cops crack down on it. Have you ever heard anything like that? And do you believe that the Democrats really want that to represent them? You know, Brian, as we started out that description without saying the name, I wondered where you're going. But uh, after you got a few lines into it, I realized you could only be talking about Gavin Newsom because only Gavin Newsom, maybe after Joe Biden has been such a disastrous governor uh, for any state in this country. And I don't think many Americans, for that matter, many Californians are going to want want to make America California. I hope so. I hope people have standards uh, that are just not going to blindly vote for somebody that is just dist- like a, that whole party ideology. It's not even right and left. It's right and wrong, uh, it seems. Yeah. Senator, uh, what, were you, what race are you most concerned about that you know is going to be tight from Georgia to uh, to Nevada, to Wisconsin, Arizona, New Hampshire. What? Where do you? Uh, where do you focus? Because I know you want to get back into the majority as much as anybody. So, so Brian, I'd actually turn that on its head and say, where do we want to make the Democrats most concerned? A lot of the races you mentioned are places where we're on offense uh, against Democrats who are known to be vulnerable. People like Kathy Cortez Masto in Nevada or Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire. Everyone's looking at those races. But where can we still march on the Democrats? Where can when we win a victory that a lot of people aren't uh, thinking about right now? And I'd encourage all of your listeners to turn their attention to Washington state. Now, I know they're going to say, like, Washington state, it's so Democratic, there's no chance there. Well, look, in 2010, the last time we had a big Republican wave, we elected a Republican senator from Illinois, of all places. And second, we have an outstanding candidate in Washington state. Her name is Tiffany Smiley. She's got a great story. Her husband, Scotty, was blown up in Iraq a year before I was there. He was permanently blinded, but Tiffany didn't just care for him. She fought for him against the Army bureaucracy that wanted to medically retire him. Scotty went on to serve 10 years on active duty as the only blind officer on active duty. Tiffany was by his side. She raised their three kids. She continued her life as a nurse. Scotty and Tiffany were great advocates for veterans throughout the Trump administration, and I know that she is going to beat Patty Murray in Washington state to be our next senator. And maybe most important, I think Patty Murray may know that as well because she started running negative ads against Tiffany early June. And as I told Tiffany at the time, you only take fire when you're close to the target. Understood. Keep your eye on Tiffany Smiley in Washington state. All right. Senator Tom Cotton, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. 1-866-408-7669. It's going to be a different field, and it would include Tom Cotton, I believe, if Donald Trump doesn't run. The other people, I think, uh, no doubt about it. My guest for Saturday night, Nikki Haley, she'll be in there. Mike Pompeo will be in there. Ron DeSantis will be in there. Youngkin will be in there. I think Rick Scott will be in there. Tim Scott will give it serious consideration. Christy Noem, I think, would run. So it's going to be a packed, talented field. But if Trump runs, I see Youngkin getting in, Christy getting in. I'm not sure I see anybody else.
What do you think? One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. And on the other side, if if it is not Biden, I know Newsom's going to jump in. You know Pritzker's going to jump in. Who else do you see jumping in with a legitimate shot of winning? You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I know there are a lot of people that are talking about you running there and potentially being comfortable there. What do you say when you see that? There's no part of you at all? That no, because they- I, I don't know. You know, it's it's one of those things. I, I've tried to say no, no way, in every way I possibly can, including saying subs. I don't know what else. I don't know what language. In fact, I may need advice and counsel. Uh, what's the language uh, to express? Absolutely no. It's just fodder. It's made up. And it is, frankly, uh, it's not helpful. It's not helpful to any of us. And, uh, and it gets in the way of, of things we should be focused on. Well, that was uh, Governor Newsom commenting the fact that he, while the president's away, he walks into the White House with his jacket off looking so comfortable. Look, he looks the part. The problem is he was a terrible mayor and governor. Uh, real quick, I, I got this. Uh, I get these emails. You go to BrianKillMe.com. Just click on comments, questions. Uh, this one is this. Good morning. I have a question. Allison, this is really for you uh, about our VP. Doesn't she have a law degree? Wasn't she a working lawyer at some point? How could she not have the ability to speak in public if she actually is working in a profession? Did she not have to argue a case? Does she not have to address a jury? This is concerning to me. These two are making our country look so weak. As a retired veteran, she's disturbed. As with a law degree, don't they teach you how to present? Well, it depends on the classes you take. I mean, it's not all. Really? Yeah, I mean, more, it's more how to think and analyze the law and the cases. But yes, you would think that she'd be more articulate. But okay. you know, everyone's not the you know everyone's not a litigator, and everyone doesn't go in the courtroom for a reason. But she she was she did used to right. She was the AG of California. Right. She should be. Um, more of all spoken than she Right, and you are a lawyer. Robert, WVMT in Burlington. Robert, real quick. Yes, regarding China, I think this is a perfect time to pivot away from China and put our manufacturing into Central and South America. That would solve two problems. Number one, our border problem, uh, keeping these people at home working uh, with good wages. And secondly, we would counter the strategic, ever-present threat from China militarily. So I think it's time that we woke up to the fact that the Chinese are not our friends. And we shouldn't be using your products. Hey, Robert, that's something to run on. If I'm a candidate, I'm doing exactly that. And I would not go further. I would meet with some of the leading manufacturing companies and talk about what it would take in the countries where it would go. Great point. Brian Kilmeade Show. Robert, solving problems. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1 866 408 7669. It's going to be a big hour coming your way. Stephen Moore, who's on television right now, is going to be joining us in 15 minutes. He did a big study on how many 
of the Biden administration economic officials actually have real business experience? Almost none. You believe that? Ambassador Robert Jordan will be with us this hour. Ambassador Robert Jordan spent a lot of quality time in Saudi Arabia as their ambassador. What is happening right now behind closed doors as the president lands in that uh, kingdom, the place he called Pariah Nation? Geraldo Rivera is standing by. So a lot to discuss. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We're all given a moment in time, and we want to make the best of the moment. And uh, I don't want to pass this moment with a partner in the White House. And there's no greater partner than the Biden administration. Really? Gavin Newsom? Is that what it was about? Your visit to the White House with the president away? Playing politics. Gavin Newsom spent a day at the White House. President's overseas. And Trump is about to announce a plan to get back into the White House. What do both moves mean for both parties? And do either have a shot to win? Number two. One of the things that has happened is over the last 30 days, the, the, the price of gas has fallen every day. That wasn't fully reflected in the CPI data for June that came uh, out yesterday. And so that, that data is inherently backward looking. Uh, there you go. Uh, that was Brian Deese. Economy takes another body blow and not a person in the administration seems up to fixing it. What it all means for you and what it means to them in November. Number one. We've laid out for, for, for the leadership of Iran what we're willing to accept in order to get back in the JCPOA. We're waiting for the response, but we are not going to wait forever. What? You have a deal? The president meets the pariah. Uh, yes, after casually mentioning he offered Iran a get-out-of-nuke-jail-free card. What's in that jail-free jail card, and what does he not realize what will make or break his meeting with MBS? It's not a deal with Iran. A guy that knows all this inside now, it's been walked the land uh, himself, Geraldo Rivera now, co-host of The Five, Fox News' correspondent at large, and he's at large right now. Geraldo, welcome. Thank you, Brian. Good morning to you. How's are you, everything? Are you on the five tonight? I am. I'm going to be heading to New York momentarily. You're, I thought I'd chat with you first. Uh, are you uh, your thoughts when when I find out this deal was made casually mentioned by the president? A deal's done. We submitted it to him, and waiting to get here back. Well, uh, I mean, don't you think they should at least consult with the with his uh, foreign, you know, this the Senate Foreign Policy Committee, or 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 at least let Congress know? I talked to Tom Cotton, Kevin McCarthy today. They had no idea. Well, I'd like to see the substance of the deal. <laughs> I uh, I think that uh, data talks and uh, BS walks. So if indeed he has a deal here, I'd like to know the specifics. Uh, and I uh, I applaud it. if indeed. Uh, the Biden administration, far beyond the capability I thought they had, uh, made a deal uh, on the down low with Iran, the uh, nuclear pariah state, uh, to uh, to forego nuclear weapons. I think that that's a sensational win, if indeed it's true, Brian. Wow. I, I don't see it that way. Senator Menendez doesn't see it that way. Senator Schumer doesn't see it that way. Senator Cardin, because they're, they're a nation that doesn't trust. We don't trust, never will. And I'll, I'll give you something else. It turns out the U.N. says as of the middle of July, which is today, they no longer will have monitors on their nuclear program. And it's reported that for the first time they'll weaponize uranium to the level of a nuclear weapon. It's happening already. Well, I heard some of that. I certainly heard that they had disabled many of the surveillance cameras in the, uh, in the big nuke plant. Uh, but if indeed there is good news, Brian, let's uh, let's give it a chance uh, to breathe. I mean, if the mullahs uh, shockingly uh, have <laughs> finally conceded that they're Are not going kidding? to get this thing done, 
Well, listen, I, I know I, you, I, you always like to be optimistic, but let me just tell I you do. what the deal Thank said. You. According to uh, yesterday's, uh, yesterday's uh, New York Post, this is the deal. Uh, it will be offered, Iran will be offered an aid package worth $275 billion in year one, $800 billion over the next five years, and a trillion available by 2030 if they stay nuclear free. Now, do you have a problem with that? I have none. I don't know where the trillion comes from and how much of it comes out of our pocket. Of course it does. Uh, but I, I, I have no conceptually. Uh, it is a bribe. Of course, we always knew it was a bribe. We're bribing them to stay nuclear free. What the cost of the bribe is is what is interesting. And uh, will there be full disclosure of the various provisions? Uh, but I, I see this. I, Iran is such a sticking point. Remember, we, we uh, what's his name, uh, Suleimani, we popped him in uh, in Baghdad when he was visiting. Uh, you know, I, I think yeah, he was just having a good time. I think he was on vacation, just hanging out, hanging out. <laughs> All of a sudden, he orders an espresso and he gets a, a you know a, a drone strike through his head. Uh, I, I I want Iran to leave its pariah state behind. I think that uh, Saudi Arabia is such an unreliable partner. They are the fomenters of so much unrest and. In, in the Islamic world, they create these madrasas. Has the Abraham, but the madrasas have been addressed, and I would say the Abraham Accords are really because of them. If there was one nation that made it happen with Israel, it is Saudi Arabia and Bahrain, Morocco, uh, United Arab Emirates have all fallen in place. Oman? I'm all for it. I am absolutely all for it. And if, if making Iran the pariah, is the glue that holds that uh, very shaky coalition together. I want to see Israel advance. No, I said Saudi Arabia is. Partners. I, I, I understand that. But if Israel is really cut into a deal with Saudi Arabia and the other states you mentioned, that, and, uh, and as per the Abraham Accords, that's a, that's a major uh, evolution in the Middle East, given the fact that the Palestinian question is still unresolved and very thorny. Uh, if they can dis- put aside the Palestinian situation long enough to make a deal state to state, uh, I think that adds to security. And as does Iran uh, getting a trillion dollar bribe to stay nuclear free. Uh, I want you to hear what Israeli's interim prime minister Lapid said yesterday. Uh, and I thought yes. I think it's important because it's kind of a rebuke of the president who says, I want to talk about it. He said this cut seven. They want to destroy the only Jewish state in the world. That, we will never let that happen. Words will not stop them, Mr. President. Diplomacy will not stop them. The only thing that will stop Iran is knowing that if they continue to develop their nuclear program, the free world will use force. The only way to stop them is to put a credible military threat on the table. So your thoughts about that, that's a neighbor. I think that I think that Israel, uh, you know, if you just follow the news over the last several years, Israel does not abide uh, Iran's reckless uh, pursuit of nuclear weapons outside the, uh, the agreements. Israel has sent uh, enough Mossad assassination teams into Iran so that no one connected with the Iranian uh, atomic uh, industry and situation can feel safe. They, uh, it, I won't say they routinely assassinate them, but they do with such uh, 
regularity, appalling regularity or alarming regularity from Iran's point of view, that they understand that Israel is is like a, a, a spider, a, a scorpion. You, you, you try to brush it aside, it's going to whack you. And that's what Israel has been doing. Uh, and it's a very credible military threat. And I think it's kind of laughable when they pretend that they haven't already been doing it, Brian. The president, uh, former President Donald Trump, says he it looks like he might declare as early as September. He's just deciding when to run again. Do you think that if he had the best interest, if he has the best interest of his party in mind and he wants to run, when would he announce? Uh, certainly not before the midterms. I think it's very selfish and narcissistic of him. I, I think, as you know, Brian, I, I love the guy. I feel awful the way things turned out. But I think when he went after the constitutional order, uh, the peaceful succession of government, and tried to gum up things that we've been doing constitutionally for two and a half centuries. I think he he, uh, forfeited his opportunity to run for president again. That's my opinion. I think that he can be uh, the father of the party. Uh, He can can bask in the glory of uh, how he's managed the Supreme Court and all the rest of it. Uh, But I hope that uh, his silly quest uh, for the White House and redemption is uh, very destructive for him and the party, do maybe you, the country, too. Brian. Do you think Gavin Newsom should be considered a legitimate contender when Joe Biden well, makes it official? I think that uh, Gavin Newsom's a very attractive politician in every regard. He's slick as can be. He's sophisticated. Uh, he's experienced. He was married to our own Kimberly Guilfoyle, so he's got to have some substance. Uh, I, I think he'd be a formidable challenger from the Democratic side uh, if he could. Uh, you know, he's got a pretty boy reputation. Let's see if he can fight it out in the in the gutters of uh, party politics. Right? Even though he's destroyed a state, but first he destroyed a city in San Francisco between the homelessness, oh, well. between the exit. He's managed. He's managed to get people to leave the one of the finest states in the country. You're the opposition research, Brian, and that's exactly what. Will but do you think he's been a good part- governor? Uh, I think that the fact that the recall against him, remember that, failed so utterly shows that he has the affection of uh, the majority of Californians, despite everything you said about San Francisco, which is true, and homelessness, everything you said about, uh, you know, uh, uh, how Los Angeles. the state is, is, is state and L.A. is suffering, all true. But uh, I think he's he's appealing. He's, uh, he's not there by accident, and uh, I, I believe that he, he's the kind of guy yeah. who, unlike most of the other Democrats, won't apologize and whimper about the Democratic policy. Right. It just uh, The worst thing about him is his report card. Uh, the best thing about him is he looks the part. He looks like a guy that should be cast as the president. Definitely. So that definitely. he definitely has got presence. We'll have Gene Hackman will be the chief of staff. Right. Yeah. And I mean, Morgan but he, Freeman would be the vice president. But he's Hollywood. <laughs> uh, but but you have, you know, he is and, but he in is terms Hollywood. of a report card, that's the problem. But he does look the part. I just thought him he walking into the White House was such an insult to Biden. Uh, with the jacket off. Oh, and, uh, such an insult. Says, Where's, where do I put my feet now? <laughs> All right, listen, uh, Geraldo, I want you to have a great weekend and a great five, okay? Dominate. Okay, buddy, thank you, thank you. All right, back in a moment. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. But the here and now for families that are out there is that gas, the price of gas is falling at the pump. Uh, it's still too hot, uh, but it's coming down. And certainly if you look at uh, yeah, the oil price uh, and you look at wholesale prices for gas, we should expect that to continue uh, to come down. So if this month we continue to see a historic number of days where the price of gas at the pump is falling, that will provide some immediate uh, immediate relief. That's connected to some of the steps that we've taken, which I won't, I won't belabor, but that is, that is in some ways the most immediate uh, uh, impact, and it's happening right now. And he says gas is coming down to $4.63, and that's good news. This gas is coming down. So how do you feel about that? Let's bring in Stephen Moore, senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation. That was Brian Deese. He's the National Economic Council director. Stephen, do you feel good about Brian Deese's diagnosis, judging by his record? No, I don't. I mean, I'm having a deja vu. I mean, how many times have we heard this, Brian? I mean, you've covered this, you know, week after week after week after week after week, where they keep saying, oh, it's transitory, it's temporary, it's peak, it's only, remember, it's only a high-class problem. I mean, everything that they've said about inflation for the last year has been wrong, wrong, wrong. So, no, they don't have any credibility. I I do actually think that inflation is going to come down a little bit. Uh, It is true that the gas price has, has come down about 30 cents a gallon, but we're still I mean, Brian, it was two fifty a gallon when Trump left office, and now it's still what four eighty five. I mean, yeah, I mean it's almost doubled. So, uh, look, the producer price numbers came out yesterday. Uh, they don't show a nine percent inflation; they show eleven percent, eleven percent inflation. I, it, it is just astounding to me, Brian, that the that the uh, Biden people could screw up this economy in 18 months the way they have. And I'm going to say one other thing, and I'm biased. I work for Trump, so I do have a bias. I was one of his economic advisors, but he was a businessman. He knew how to run the economy. I think we'd have a booming economy today. We wouldn't be talking about a recession if he were president. Steve, what did you discover in looking back at the backgrounds of the top economic people in yeah. the Biden administration? Well, that there's no business experience, that, that, the, that the Biden people are so opposed to business. They hate business. They hate small business. They hate American corporations. And so what we found was that the majority of the people who are in the high level positions in the Biden administration, starting, of course, with the president himself and the vice president, Kamala Harris, and on down, uh, the, the people who advise him or in key positions on the economy, on finance, on commerce, on money, that the, the majority of them have zero Zero business experience. And by the way, I'm not saying that they didn't run companies. I'm saying they've never even worked for a company. So why would you hire these people even to run a lemonade stand, let alone try to manage our $22 trillion economy? How unlike is that from the experience that you saw with the Trump team? Well, we we first we did the analysis of the Biden people. We looked at the top 65 officials and then we said, well, OK, you know, we did just what you suggested. Brian. we said, well, let's let's compare that with the Trump people. The Trump people have about four times more business experience. And of course, that starts with the very top. Right. Brian. I mean, Donald Trump was 40 years in business. It's one of the reasons I think the American people elected him. They, they wanted somebody who knew something about how to meet a payroll and how to run a company uh, and uh, make a profit and very, very very few in the Biden administration do. So it's a, it says, and by the way, one other quick thing, you know how the left loves to talk about diversity, diversity, we have to have diversity in skin color and religion yeah. and ethnicity and so on. Well, don't you think they should have a little diversity in their cabinet? Maybe some people with business experience. 
Because we're in a, we're, we need somebody that's tapped in or at least make an effort. And, and the thing is, if, if you have people that don't understand what the average business is like, to open up a deli, right. to have a dry cleaner or a restaurant, you really can't learn that in a book. I couldn't agree more. I mean, and and I'd rather take the guy who runs the dry cleaner office running our economic policy, some of, the, some of these nitwits that are in the White House. And look, they are academic. So what we found was that most of them are either spent their whole life in academics reading books, or they are people who are community activists, as you know, Barack Obama was, or they are lawyers, or they're people who spent their whole life in government. And so they don't have any conception about how to how a business operates, the, the strains that, that people run companies face. You've got a woman named Lena Khan. She's 31 years old. So she's just fr- kind of fresh out of, get, just got her PhD. She's in charge of the Federal Trade Commission, never worked a day in her life in business. And now she's telling our businesses, small and large, how to, how to run their operations. I mean, how crazy is that? It's crazy. Uh, it's all in Stephen Moore's Wall Street Journal column that came out this week. He's a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, Stephen, thanks so much. I just am not convinced they have the people there to bring us out of this. They have people on the outside who are very critical from Jason Furman to Larry Summers, but they don't seem to be listening, and that's arrogance. Thanks so much, Steve. All right, Brian. Have a great weekend. You got it. Uh, We we come back. With the president's doing right now in Saudi Arabia, Ambassador Robert Jordan weighs in. He served as U.S. ambassador to to the kingdom from 2002 to 2003, uh, now at SMU. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. What will you say to Saudi leaders, specifically to Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, about the Khashoggi murder and other human rights practices? And if I may, uh, Prime Minister Lapid, how close are you to an agreement with Saudi Arabia to gain overflight rights? And should we expect that soon? Thank you. With regard to the question you asked me, uh, my views on Khashoggi have been absolutely positively clear. Um, and I have never been quiet about talking about human rights. Right, but he didn't answer. Will he bring it up today? Ambassador Robert Jordan joins us now, served as U.S. Ambassador to Saudi Arabia, uh, diplomat in residence at SMU, and author of Desert Diplomat Inside Saudi Arabia Following 9-11. Ambassador, uh, welcome back. Do you think the president's going to bring that up today? Because early word in the New York Times, according to their sources, was they will warn not to. Yeah, Brian, good to be with you again. Um, my guess is he does not bring it up by name directly but certainly make some some references to the importance of, of human rights uh, and improving uh, the, the Saudi record in that regard. It would be great if he could encourage the release of some political prisoners uh, to have what we would call deliverables uh, associated with this. Uh, but I doubt that he's going to actually be raising the name Khashoggi in, in his meetings with the crown prince. The problem is he promised the the family, the widow— and the family that he would bring it up to him, and they were on Fox News talking about the you know the the president. I told the president I understand why you got to meet with him, at least bring it up and talk about the other political prisoners. So that would be a direct affront. It's a real difficult. 
position that any president is in in situations like this. Uh, he's got uh, a national interest, a country uh, to protect, both from uh, a security standpoint and an economic standpoint. Uh, I think sometimes this president gets ahead of himself in his rhetoric. He got ahead of himself by calling uh, the Saudis a pariah nation during his campaign uh, talk. Uh, I think he may be very careful in uh, he may needs to be more careful in, in uh, the kind of commitments he makes. But I do think regardless of the personal tragedy that uh, Hatisha, the fiance, uh, who, who's, uh, whose concerns I certainly share, uh, and even if you look at the 9-11 families and others who have suffered from uh, things that have happened at the hands of at least some Saudis over the years, uh, this is a country that has to move forward and has enormously complicated uh, challenges and choices that have to be made, uh, some of which are existential. How do you handle Iran? How do you deal with uh, the Israeli uh, relationship uh, with the Middle East? Uh, how do you deal with oil issues? So there are so many of these issues that have to be dealt with. You've got to figure out how to do both. How do you handle the values that are so important to America, and at the same time uh, do business with uh, allies or partners uh, whose values you don't even share. Well, they know who Joe, who President Biden is uh, when he was Senator Biden, Vice President Biden. So no one has to tell them about him and his background. But in terms of their policy, they, this is not the Trump Accords. I mean, there is a sense that every time they bring up Iran, they're hurting any type of the Abraham Accords happening. And then the president came out and said, uh, I have a plan, and I gave it to him. Cut 12. The, uh... We've laid out for the people, for, for, for the leadership of Iran, what we're willing to accept in order to get back into JCPOA. We're waiting for the response, but we are not going to wait forever. How does that resonate in Saudi Arabia? Well, I think it's it's going to bring a mixed reaction. Uh, the Saudis uh, certainly are uh, viewing Iran as an existential threat. At the same time, uh, if by not waiting forever suggests that down the line there's going to be a military uh, event, uh, where will that blowback take place? It'll take place in Saudi Arabia. It'll take place in the oil fields. It'll take place... Uh, in attacks on the these visionary buildings they're trying to create in Vision 2030. Uh, it's going to be chaotic and dangerous uh, for the Saudis. And so I think the Saudis have some interest in trying to uh, put a lid on uh, the development of nuclear weapons, but at the same time uh, avoid uh, some kind of military attack uh, that actually explodes in their faces uh, and uh, disrupts the entire uh, vision that they have uh, for developing their country. How do you feel about this prince? Uh, the young people seem to like him. Uh, his enemies fear him. We also know he's a brutal, uh, going to be a brutal murderer. And but he also does a good job cracking down on the terrorists in his midst. So, what do you, how do you view him, Ambassador Jordan? It's it's a mixed verdict. I will tell you that I. Uh, had a good relationship with Jamal Khashoggi. I met with him a number of times while I was ambassador. Uh, I've been extremely uh, vocal in my disgust and exasperation with this crown prince 
not only with uh, Jamal's murder, but also with his incursions in uh, in Yemen, uh, his uh, uh, riding roughshod on uh, many of his uh, uh, other members of the world family and the business community. At the same time, uh, there are a lot of exciting things happening in Saudi Arabia. Uh, they're uh, developing a real vision for what needs to be uh, part of their country going forward, reducing their dependence on oil. Women are now driving. Uh, a lot of the social uh, taboos have now been eliminated. And it, frankly, has probably taken an authoritarian regime in order to make that happen over the objection of the clerical establishment and those who didn't want to go so far. And so this is a very mixed bag, as it often is with the Saudis. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's an area where I think we have to meet the challenge. We have to find a way to articulate our, uh, our values and human rights to encourage them to do better. Uh, and there's a huge there's huge room for improvement in that regard. But we've also got uh, an interest in a stable Saudi Arabia. Yeah. If, if the world family went down, uh, Saudi Arabia would look a lot more like yet, uh, like Libya than it would look like uh, Switzerland. I hear you. And the thing is that people should keep in mind, they're not just haphazardly bombing Yemen. They were getting rocketed by the Houthi rebels supplied by Iran into populated areas, not even to military installations. So they did have to respond. The question is how they responded. Do I have that characterized incorrectly? Yeah, Brian, I think you've got it right. They were indiscriminate in their bombing of the, of the uh, Yemeni population, which is what created so much of the blowback. It wasn't that they were uh, that they didn't have a right to defend themselves. The Houthis for years and years had been uh, launching incursions across the border into Saudi Arabia. Once they got Iran's uh, missiles and technology, uh, they became uh, sort of like the dog that ate the but that caught the bus. Uh, they uh, they took over Sanaa. They took over much of the country, and uh, continued then to attract Iran's interest in uh, fomenting uh, instability with the Saudis. Gotcha. Uh, I want you to hear what General Keene told me this morning about the prospect of getting back into the to the JCPOA. Uh, he obviously is not for it. Cut fourteen. They took this hundreds of billions of dollars as a result of the 2015 deal, and they bought thousands of uh, rockets and missiles for the Hezbollah and Hamas that rained down on Israel. Their proxy, the Hezbollah, tried to establish missile bases in Syria. The fact is, Israeli has conducted over 200 airstrikes against that, and also they toppled the very year that the deal was signed. They toppled the regime in Yemen, a country friendly to the United States and to the Arabs, and the Houthis have rained hundreds of missiles down on Saudi Arabia. If they give them this deal, the Israelis know they will be the victims of that of money. Is he wrong? I think he's got a lot of really good points there, uh, Brian. And I think uh, part of the problem here is uh, how do you walk back uh, the, the relationship with the Houthis and the, and the conflict? Thankfully, there's been a ceasefire in place for a couple of months. Uh, this is an area where there actually might be a, an opportunity for some negotiation. Tim Lingerking of the State Department has been leading those negotiations, and so far he's had at least some limited successes. Well, uh, do you want to see us enter into that agreement? I have been very critical of the first agreement of 2015. 
I didn't think it went far enough. I didn't think it would work. I didn't think they had sufficient inspection uh, rigor uh, to it. And I also thought it was uh, not long enough in duration. I mean, even if you had stuck to it, it would be expiring here in the next uh, three years. So um, a better agreement would be ideal. A longer agreement, one that had sufficient uh, inspection protocols, but I'm not uh, uh, deluded by the idea that uh, somehow that's possible. I think it's worth a try. Uh, I think even the Saudis probably would rather have some kind of deal that freezes in place uh, the uh, ability to develop nuclear weapons. Uh, And if they don't, then I think we may well see the Saudis saying, uh, well, maybe we need to have our own nuclear weapons if we can't uh, if we can't tamp this down. Yeah, so 1-800-Pakistan. Yeah, Pakistan. Ambassador Lasley, we're going to ask them to pump more. Can the Saudis pump more? I, I don't even want to ask them. We have our own oil. It's, it's against our national interest. But the president's going to ask him to supply more oil. And he's going to ask him to level off on his financial relationship with Russia. Will they do either of those things? I think there's a chance they'll pump more oil if they can. But, of course, we've probably all seen the the note that uh, uh, President Macron apparently said that uh, the rest of the the Saudis don't have that much more production capacity. In my own experience, uh, they've had about 2 million barrels a day of what we would call surge capacity uh, that would allow them to surge for maybe a couple of months uh, in extreme situations like after 9-11. Uh, but that is not a permanent capacity. Right now, they've got about 10.5 million barrels uh, that they can produce. They've agreed to start producing another 600,000 uh, this month and next month. But that's a drop in the bucket uh, compared to what the world really needs and where the demand is right now. It's possible the Saudis could produce a little more, but I'm frankly uh, not uh, convinced that they have the short-term capacity to produce uh, enough additional oil uh, that would make that much difference on the world market. I think demand is going to have to cool as it as it may be doing, uh, and I think we're going to have to find other sources of supply. But it's a conversation we need to have with the Saudis. On Russia, I do think there is a, a, a kind of a moment here where we've got to, to challenge the Saudis to understand that in, in many ways our relationship with the Saudis is inconsistent with where the Saudis appear to be going with Russia. Uh, and that's the kind of discussion that has to be had behind, behind closed doors. Uh, we don't need to pound our chest in the media about it. Uh, but I do think we've got to get some clarity on where they stand. Their temporary agreement in the OPEC plus uh, environment uh, may be expiring here, and so they may not have at least the contractual obligations to stick with Russia, uh, and that could be a positive thing. But in return for that, the Saudis are going to want something. And what are they going to want? Well, they're going to want additional security guarantees. Um, they have been, uh, I think, frustrated at our pulling Patriot missiles out of Saudi Arabia, putting them back in, uh, not responding to uh, the attacks on the oil fields in Abqaiq and Quraysh. Uh, and so we've got a, a number of issues here that the Saudis are going to want some sort of assurance from us on. Uh, and I think uh, that, that's that's kind of where the, the, the bargaining is going to go. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Ambassador Robert Jordan, always appreciate your insight. SMU is lucky to have you. Thank you. 
Thank you, Brian. Take care. one 408 We're going to come back, and I'll, I'll give you a chance to talk uh, because we've had a chance to talk to some great people this hour from Geraldo, Stephen Moore, to Ambassador Robert Jordan. Uh, we also know uh, this, that uh, Ivana, uh, Ivana Trump has passed away at the age of 73, and she's been a staple in New York for, for the longest time. And her and her husband, a one-time uh, president, uh, Donald Trump, were probably the top couple in the country. Uh, this is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. And remember, what? Don't get mad. Get everything. Yeah, Ivana Trump passed away 73. They found her at the bottom of the stairs. They think it was some type of cardiac arrest. Really tragic, evidently really close with uh, with her three kids especially. Donald Trump gave a nice tribute on, tr- on Truth Social. Uh, Eric put out a statement, so did Ivanka. I imagine Don Jr. will too. They, uh, it was just, uh, she was a staple. She was like the number one, her and her husband, Donald Trump, were the number one story in New York, whether they were getting divorced or whether they were buying the plaza, whether they were Trump Tower, uh, going to Studio 54. And then when they broke up, it was a big deal, Marla Maples, all that stuff. Uh, just so I remember the whole time, she was a very disciplined Eastern European woman who raised three incredible uh, kids. They were extremely responsible. I don't care if you think you agree with their all their politics or not. They're great people. you got to meet them. I think you have a sense of who they are. Uh, let's find out if there's – well, should we find out if there's more to one? No? If you want to know more, we can. Okay. More to know. Just one alcoholic drink a day. I, I thought this would be good news. Uh, could lead to an Alzheimer's or Parkinson's disease. Researchers at the University of Oxford consuming just seven units of alcohol, ha- uh, half the recommended maximum, fuels iron accumulation in the brain that adds to alcohol suppressing a hormone that controls the body's absorption of the minerals. I mean, we're going to die. Later in the study, but you have three more drinks and it counters that and you're fine. Oh, it does. No. <laughs> I didn't think so. Breaking next. Breaking bad characters, Walter White and Jess, uh, Jesse Pinkman to be enshrined in the bronze statues in Albuquerque, New Mexico. That is where it was actually shot or it was it, pretended to be shot? I think it was actually shot there, but I don't actually know that. But regardless, it's if you want to go there, you can now see the statue. The city served as a backdrop for the hit show. Next. Seven in ten parents say their dog is just as much of a picky eater, if not pickier, than their kids. That's your fault. 54% say they only like particular foods. 46% not interested in their food. I've given the same thing to my dog the whole time. Once in a while, we'll add something. You do, you don't play into it. Yeah, but, I mean, are your dogs picky eaters? No. I was going to say, I don't, I've never had a dog that doesn't eat anything and everything. Right. So I don't buy this study. Save your money. Could a hectic household actually impair a child's brain development? A new study finds that both poor nutrition and living in a chaotic home environment can negatively impact a young child's executive, executive brain functioning. They studied kids up to 18 months to two years at the University of Illinois and found that youngsters eating sugary snacks and processed foods will likely have problems in working with memory and planning organizing snacks. So don't fight and don't give sugar. Living in a household with more with high amounts of noise, overcrowding, and disorganization also contribute to poor executive functioning. So you see how much parents can make an impact. I think that headline is a little deceiving in that a hectic household Hectic doesn't necessarily mean it you're could be feeding fun. your kids crap. The Bradys, yeah. those were six great kids. I agree. A lot of chaos. Hectic. Right, hectic. 
And a lot of times food wasn't ready, even though Carol had no discernible job. But Alice was not feeding them sugary snacks. She I don't was, think so. Rachel was making them healthy A lot stuff. of meat because yeah. of Sam. Sam was giving her a lot, of, a lot of discounts. Uh, I would say this. If you are a stay-at-home mom, you shouldn't have a housekeeper. I would disagree with that because trying to wrangle little kids and clean the house. But they weren't little kids. They were full grown. Well, that's true. Right? I mean, it was a blended family. It was. But they were keeping Alice employed. They were helping the economy. All right. That was good. Good point. And they were the first family to have turf in their backyard. That was not correct. They're doing that now in California to save water. Yeah. They don't don't have to have water in California. Thanks, Gavin Newsom. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, coming to you from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, Shannon Bream is standing by with her law degree, her knowledge of the industry, as well as the knowledge of the economy. It's going to be fascinating. Sandra Smith with a business background will close the show. And we'll find out if there's indeed more to know. The President of the United States has landed in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, a direct flight from Israel. At one point, that would have been unfathomable, unthinkable. But uh, Air Force One is now there. And it's going to be a high-stakes meeting. But the question is, will MBS find a way to shake the president's hand because he does not want to? And I think that he knows the guy that he called the leader of Pariah Nation. And now things have certainly changed. He could make him pay the diplomatic price. We'll see what he's going to ask for and what he'll actually get. Well projected. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We're all given a moment in time, and we want to make the best of the moment. And uh, I don't want to pass this moment with a partner in the White House. And there's no greater partner than the Biden administration. Gavin Newsom spent a day at the White House, jacket off, looking perfectly at home. He knew the press was there. While the president wasn't. And meanwhile, Trump is about to announce his plan to get back into the White House. The question is, when will he announce? And should it be before or after the midterms? Will either one of them have a shot in 2024? I want you to weigh in. Number two. One of the things that has happened over the last 30 days, the the, the price of gas has fallen every day. That wasn't fully reflected in the CPI data for June that came uh, out yesterday. And so that, that data is inherently backward looking. Really, Brian Dees, economy taking another body blow as... Not a person in the administration seems up to fixing it. Con- consumer price index at 11.2%. Uh, instead, they spin it instead of explaining it. What it all means for us, what it all means for you, and how you'll vote in November. Number one. We've laid out for, for, for the leadership of Iran what we're willing to accept in order to get back into JCPOA. We're waiting for the response, but we are not going to wait forever. Right. President Biden meets with the pariah after casually mentioning he offered Iran a get-out-of-nuke-jail-free card. What's the deal with that? Does he realize that we would like to know as a country what is in it before he negotiates away our security? Uh, he's about to meet with MBS now. I'll bring in Shannon Bream, Fox News' chief legal analyst, anchor of Fox News at night at 12, best-selling author. And we're seeing the big steps of Air Force One. Shannon, you're watching it too, more than likely. And we're seeing the royal family meet there. I guess that's the king. Can he fist bump a king? Has that ever been done before? I Listen, in the world of COVID, um, I, there's been a lot of fist bumping. Ah. I wouldn't do it like with the Queen of England, but I think even she was doing it, her elbows or whatever. So I, I mean, who knows? It's a whole new world. Right. 
And the thing is, MBS knows he's been called a pariah, knows that he's been called a murderer by this president. And does he make it easy on the president and not meet him out there? I can't tell who's who just by the outfit they chose to mm-hmm. wear. Mm-hmm. So what, what happens here? I wonder if he's going to try to trump Biden and make him shake his hand. Gosh, that's going to be so tricky and so interesting to watch because both these leaders have something to gain and something to lose through this meeting. Um, You know, MBS wants to have respectability on the world stage. But as you pointed out, and as we all keep pointing out, the president said he would be treated like a pariah that he is. And so, you know, when you press people within the Biden administration, there are even Democrats out there saying these optics are terrible. It's it's not a good look for us to go over there hat in hand, asking them to up oil and gas production, go going to make nice with them when we have domestic options that we have not fully leveraged. And you said this guy was horrible. The White House says we're going to bring up human rights abuses. We're going to bring up all these things. Um, It's just super awkward. And uh, you almost feel like with this trip, there's more opportunity for, um, you know, to hit a minefield, to do something really uh, inappropriate on the foreign policy stage, and to really not be able to come away with measurable wins to say, look what we got, um, when in the first place there are people from your own party who don't think you should be going there. Yeah, it's just uh, a little bit of a disconnect that, I, that we were able to pick up in watching the Israelis address the idea of the Iran nuke deal and them getting a nuclear weapon, and it was pretty apparent. Here's Israeli Prime Minister Lapid yesterday at the press conference and trying to tell the president, you keep talking about diplomacy. It won't work. Cut seven. They want to destroy the only Jewish state in the world. That, we will never let that happen. Words will not stop them, Mr. President. Diplomacy will not stop them. The only thing that will stop Iran is knowing that if they continue to develop their nuclear program, the free world will use force. The only way to stop them is to put a credible military threat on the table. So he said credible military threat, and I was with Ambassador Friedman at the time. He said that's the key word. He does not believe the president has it. We're actually watching the president go down those steps. Every step matters. Uh, he went down by himself. He seems to have made it, takes off his aviators. And I can't tell if he's shaking hands or not. Can you tell, Allison? Can you tell, Shannon? I can't. Because of the, because of the outfits. Um, they are told they're blocked. Maybe that's intentional. Of course it is. I think, you know, you know how it is on these trips that the press is very carefully corralled and where we can go and what we can see where our cameras can go, very tightly controlled. Um, So the angles are are never a mistake. I mean, there's always a ton of thought put into that. Up, up. Mm. Can you see, Allison? What is your take? Fist bump. A fist bump, I believe, with somebody who may very well be the royal family. There's a lot of royal family members. Anthony Blinken trailing behind. Jake Sullivan's also there to walk back <laughs> everything the president hands. says. Yeah, okay, yeah we're, we're shaking hands. Shaking hands. Handshake, mm-hmm. oh, fantastic. Remember the doctor? The doctor said, shake hands of the G7, but when you go to the Middle East, fist bump. And then when you go to Saudi Arabia, technically the Middle East, shake hands. That's an interesting prescription. How do you fulfill that prescription when a doctor gives you orders like that? Where are the masks? That's what I want to know. I know. Oh, wait, I see some on the military guys. Okay. Maybe the leaders are not going to wear them, but some of the um, other military folks and, you know, and, and I the hope staff are going to wear them. I hope that guy tested positive or something, because for the military to be wearing a mask outside, it's farcical uh, to begin well, with. Well, it does not match with current scientific data and numerous studies that are out there. 
But if this is an abundance of caution situation, these are world leaders, you know, I'm not sure that gentleman has a choice. Would it be great to have your car follow you all around? Like I land in oh Germany gosh. and there's Think my, about the traffic that you my fight SUV. every day. Right. And if there could just be like a Brian Kilmeade motorcade. Right. Yeah, Wouldn't I like, it make life so much easier? I always think the thing – listen, being the president, I think, is the hardest job in the world. I don't know why anybody would want to do it. It's very, very difficult. What I would miss the most, though, about it is flying private all the time and having motorcades everywhere. Like, you have saved so many hours off of your life by those two things. Right. I, I think, and then when they go away, I think that a lot of them still fly private and that kind of thing. But you're not going to get motorcades everywhere. And in D.C. and in New York – I mean, that's, that can make or break your day. And the band's probably not going to play everywhere you go. So when, the chief. when what do they think? The president, I believe, we've learned, we've, got, we've covered so many of these, Shannon, and you cover a lot of, we cover a lot of them live. Usually they have something set up where they walk away with something. So is the president going to say, I've got them agreed to X amount of uh, barrels of oil. I am going to walk away. We are now closer than ever to having Saudi Arabia recognize Israel, which would be special mm-hmm. credit to the Abraham Accords. Is there something deliverable that can happen here? Right, and that's the trickiest thing about this trip, I think, because everybody is looking at it from the front end. Like like I said, you've got the criticism from both sides of the aisle saying we shouldn't be going to Saudi Arabia to do this, to ask for this. It doesn't – the optics of it look like a position of weakness. But what can you walk away from it with to say this was the trade-off and this was worth it? I don't think there's going to be any big announcement about Saudi Arabia and Israel. I don't think we're getting that on this trip. Um, and you heard Emmanuel Macron, you know, France's president, say um, just a couple of weeks ago, I think Saudi Arabia is maxed out. I don't think there's that much more they can do for you when it comes to oil. So we'll see what the measurables are other than this is a goodwill tour. The president um, was very firm in his support for Israel. Um, You know, as you said, they would like to see something um, very concrete when it comes to defense of them. They don't have the luxury of diplomacy because they live in the world's most dangerous neighborhood, as we always like to say. Um, And they have people who are calling for complete extermination of the existing of their country. So um, they're not going to mince words in the way that a U.S. president might, although uh, I think President Trump was rather tough when it came to defending Israel and talking about them as an ally, which President Biden has done, you know, in talking about them as an ally as well. But this trip has got so many potential landmines in it um, that it's a big gamble for this administration. Right. I mean, but the thing is, he cannot shake Afghanistan almost a year ago this month, next month. And he also cannot shake the fact that he keeps going back into this 2015 deal or wanting to get back there. How about the fact that the Senate asked him, check with us, at least tell us what's in it before you offer it. He didn't and announces it. I got a deal. It's up for them to take it. What is the buzz? I can't imagine Democrats on the Foreign Policy Committee really or the uh, U.S. Armed Services are really pleased by being left in the dark like this. Well, and there's always been this argument in Washington that it's a treaty that needs to be ratified by the Senate, as, you know, has been set out by policy and, um, you know, practice for the, you know, couple centuries our, our country has been around. So there's always been this argument here in Washington, and it does upset members of Congress from both sides of the aisle, both parties, that they don't like to feel like they're strong-armed out of something that they very much believe that they have a vote on and that they're a central voice on. Uh, so a couple of things are happening locally. So the, the motorcade is taken off. They go behind closed doors. We'll see what, what emerges. So uh, the, the Iranian deal I find most disturbing. The Iranians are going to get a ton of money, uh, up to a trillion dollars by 2030, which is insane because they put it towards terror and ballistic missiles. It's crazy. 
Well, let's talk domestic politics. Do you see Gavin Newsom walk into the White House this week and with a jacket over his shoulder as if he lives there? Don't you believe that the ad in Florida uh, leads you to believe that he is running for president? Yeah, I think he definitely wants to um, run for president. And listen, he survived that recall attempt there, and I think he's had an extra added level of confidence in his ability to move on to higher office after he survived that recall attempt, which um, was very animated. There was a lot of um, smoke. I don't know how much fire there was, but there was an attempt to get him out. I think coming um, you know, out of that, he feels very emboldened. And, and remember, People who live in California and droves of them have left, um, they're not going to forget the strictest lockdowns in the country in many respects there in California um, that their own governor did not comply with. I mean, that's going to be the ad. That's going to be one of the ads. The people like shuttered businesses, losing everything, don't know how to keep my family afloat. And here he is eating at a, you know, five-star restaurant um, while the rest of us peasants were told, go lock down and give up everything and take your kids out of school for two years. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think he's got a lot of confidence, but but Republicans, I think, are almost salivating at the possibility of taking him head to head because I think they are, they think they're going to have a lot of material. So here's what Adam Carolla said, because he was I'm dumbfounded that he thinks he to know, put, it, put it this way. Can you imagine if you found out today everyone took a vote and you can host your show tonight at midnight? You'd go, OK, why? Well, with that momentum, Shannon, that you can coast your show, run for president. He got, he was recalled to the job he was elected to because he was doing such a terrible job. And the fact that he wasn't thrown out, but they tried, he considers a victory. It's insane. Cut 34. Adam it's Crowley. insane that he's talking about freedom. The guy shut down churches. He shut down beaches. He shut down outdoor dining. Gas is seven bucks a gallon. He shut down schools. He had mask mandates. My kid went to school but had to eat outside. He had to eat lunch outside even during a rainstorm because they wouldn't let them into the cafeteria. They arrested a guy who was in the Santa Monica Bay paddle boarding alone because they they shut the beaches down, and this dictator is talking about freedom. It's so insane. Right, and that's in his book. So anyone who lives in California and has a brain in the, a brain cell left is, is astounded that Mr. the captain, the king of the homeless, that destroyed San Francisco and brought that magic to other major cities in California, would walk around with gel saying, I don't want to run for president yet. <laughs> I've got more to do here in California. Right. Lastly, Donald <laughs> Trump may run go. in September. I'm sure you'll hear that. Friends mm-hmm. are saying he's going to run for sure, but just run in September. This is the backdrop of the January 6th committee and the increasing ratings on Governor DeSantis. I think it hurts the Republicans if he announces in September. Wouldn't logic lead you to that same conclusion, Shannon? Yeah, and I, there's definitely talk in, in Washington that Republicans are worried about that. They feel like uh, this midterm is theirs to lose. They, you know, feel that they have every good opportunity to have what they're calling a red tsunami. Um, and they really worry that if he gets involved again, the, the midterms are going to turn into a referendum on him instead of on the economy and all these other places that the White House is struggling. So there's definitely some consternation um, and, and hope among the Republicans that he will hold off. All right. Shannon Bream, who's on tonight? I would tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Um, I'm actually off tonight because I've got a special assignment, which I also can't tell you about. But I am hosting Fox News Sunday, so I'll see you on Sunday. Ooh, is it an interview that I'll see on Sunday? 
It's possible. But tonight you will see the one and only Kevin Cork. He's going to hold down the fort. Nice. And uh, on Sunday, of course, we're going to be talking foreign policy and economy um, with Senator Rick Scott will be with us. Um, we've got someone from the White House coming to talk economy, which I'm very impressed that they will send us someone to discuss that because we have much to, to dive into. Right. Uh, I just would uh, recommend you read Stephen Moore's column in the Wall Street yes, Journal. Very interesting. That yep. Nobody I has we'll, I any we might business experience. That on Sunday. <laughs> I know you have a lot to read for your show. Uh, I do. Well, Shannon, thanks for your transparency. Okay. Well, I will see you very soon, my friend. In fact, Saturday night. How about that? That'll be great. And I'll see you Saturday. I'll see you Sunday in the morning. How about that? Boom. Perfect. Sandra Smith. Uh, Shannon Bream, uh, thank you very much. <laughs> Sandra Smith, thought of the hour. Don't move. Honest commentary, unique opinions. No agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I understand we're still in July, but I want to alert you. I'm, I'm very excited, but we finally have events with this COVID era set to go live on stage. Uh, so I'll be on stage talking about uh, America great from the start. Red, white, and blue, and you. A patriotic look at this country, our history. Have some fun. We'll talk about Fox, where, where I, I came from, where I started. And then, of course, have a chance to interact with you with VIP tickets and be able to sign any of the books that I have, including The President of Freedom Fighter, which will be out on paperback in a few months. So in Newark, New Jersey, WABC listeners especially, I'll be in the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. Ignore the little thing that says you have to have a vaccine. I'm, my vaccine expired, so I can't go there if that's true. It's not true. Just ignore it. Just go to BrianKillMe.com. That'll be August 27th at uh, the Performing Arts Center. Albany, New York, the next week, called The Egg. So many people, you're buying tickets already, so don't wait. I'll be up there, and my uh, my daughters go to school in the region, so it's going to be great. I'll be able to stay and watch the races as well as go watch them play. September 8th, The Egg. Uh, just click on uh, click on my website or go right to Ticketmaster. And then in November, when the paperback comes out, I got two events: uh, Brandon, Mississippi, at City Hall Live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, at the Cox Convention Center. Get tickets now, get there. So this way, I get a chance to meet you. I was just tired of signing books and seeing people for twelve seconds, and I love being on stage. Also, Pat O'Rourke, an outstanding comedian, Rick Fatch, you're a great MC. The whole night is fun. Uh, we have a lot of features that we roll into, and a lot of production value. So I think you'll like it, BrianKillMe.com. Uh, let's go to J.D. in Las Vegas real quick. J.D. Thank you, Brian. You were last hour talking about uh, the presidency in 24. I don't see any sane Republican running against Trump. Uh, and the ideal ticket for me would be Trump and DeSantis, uh, maybe Pompeo, uh, who was who was a— fantastic secretary of state what i also wanted to tell you none of the commentators have commentated on his alaska rally for uh, uh for sarah palin and kelly the end of the rally he plays a song by sam and dave hold on i'm coming and the uh, lyrics of that song tell you he is yeah. running good point great call jd The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The industry is responding with increased production. Uh, we need to see um, uh, rhetoric and messaging that indicates that uh, our country supports increased production. 
Uh, welcome back, everyone. And that's the CEO of Chevron trying to be diplomatic yesterday on FBN. They're really tired of being vilified and as the bad guys. When they were told they're out of business soon, and which all these major investment firms were told, you better not invest in any of these fossil fuels because they feel the pressure from green energy and the green lobby and most Democrats. And they started caving to it, even though it would have provided, in many cases, profits for people's mutual funds uh, and pensions funds. Shannon uh, Bream lives. Uh, Shannon Bream lives. I almost say Shannon. Unbelievable. <laughs> I called San- I called San- uh, Shannon Sha- uh, Sandra. And you know, it's Sandra never Smith. happened before. Never. S- Sandra Smith is co-anchor of American <laughs> Reports. I'm going to be on with you in a little while. Fantastic. Right. You'll be on with Sandra Smith, not Sandra Shannon Smith. Bream. We love studio? Shannon, by the way. Um, you will be in studio. I right. can't wait. I can't wait either. Okay. Um, so listen, first off, the, the CEO of Chevron still measured, measured in their response. I know it's not WWE and calling out the president. That wouldn't be appropriate either. But I'm still I've noticed I'm that too, amazed yeah. how oil and gas is so measured in coming back at the president and politicians like Pete Buttigieg. The fact of the matter is that you should not demonize these, these American-based companies that employ thousands of people when we're on possibly the verge of a recession. Demonization of business, bad. Capitalist society, good. Free market society, good. Um, Kevin McCarthy, by the way, just put out this tweet. I wanted to bring it to your attention, Brian, because I know you like all things new. Think about this. Inflation's so high that if you've had a constant salary for the last year, think about that, it's like you've worked more than a month without pay. That's Washington Democrats, uh, what Washington Democrats took from you. This is the Pelosi pay cut. You know, it's important for Republicans to really paint that picture, whether it's sky high energy, gas prices that we're all paying or at the grocery store or whatever. However, you're being hit by this inflation, that that is money out of your pocket. At the same time, it's an administration that continues to point fingers at everyone but themselves, including American companies trying to do business in America. I know. And you just pointed out another quote, which I think is important. What we've witnessed, and you're the business expert, but I always like to be led by economists because that's what they do. We're at 9% inflation. How are we going to solve it? We're going to raise interest rate. What else are we going to do? We're going to raise taxes. Excuse me? We're going to raise taxes. Why is that a good idea? Thankfully, yesterday or the day before yesterday, Joe Manchin said, yeah, I looked at the 9%. I'm not going to go along with it. Reconciliation's dead without Manchin. It's not going to happen. So it makes me wonder when Democrats are going to start calling out their own administration. And you walked in with a quote from a Democratic lawmaker. Alyssa Slotkin, uh, she just said on another network that people can feel and see the spin from this Biden White House on inflation. She said, quote, I think that what I would like to see is some sort of path forward, a path forward so that maybe – we can't fix this tomorrow. This is not an exact verbate, but something that says we're working on the problem. We know the kind of sort of road that we're on and people are not happy. We want to get back to normal pricing. So this is a Democrat saying to the White House, stop spinning what is a very real, tangible problem that people are living through and feeling every single day. Uh, nobody's happy about this. You're a Republican, a Democrat. <laughs> You don't like paying what you are at the grocery or at the gas pump. And it's time that these Democrats start identifying the problem. But you can't fix it, Brian, if you don't know what's causing the problem or don't acknowledge what's causing the problem. So they're talking about tax hikes, more spending. When 
poll after poll shows that inflation is the top problem for most voters right now. And when asked to what do they what's causing the problem, mm-hmm. most people say government spending. So why is this White House thinking it's a good idea 116 days ahead of the midterm elections to tout more spending? A couple of things. What I feel is they think that they're going to lose at least one chamber. They know it. Mm. So we're just going to do anything agenda-driven because it, agenda matters more than the welfare of the individual. It's the exact opposite reason you're supposed to get into politics, to help the most people possible instead of your own, uh, your own party gain. I want you to hear the problem. There's a lack of trust that this administration uh, is the, uh, have proven to be the worthy to be behind the wheel at a time of crisis, much of which they created. And here's why. Cut 15. I really doubt that we're going to see an inflationary cycle. Our analysis is going to be done by our economic experts. Uh, They continue to convey that uh, they believe the impact will be temporary, transitory. The overwhelming consensus is going to pop up a little bit and then go back down. This is something that will uh, settle down. Transitory. (laughs) Transitory. Over the last couple of months, uh, we actually saw it trended downward. Are higher prices here to stay? I believe it's transitory. We're also working to unstick bottlenecks between the ports and the stores. Inflation has everything to do with the supply chain. I'm going to do everything I can to minimize Putin's price hike here at home. I mean, what is it, Sandra? Wow. I mean, what? I mean, that right there. And then when you turn around and say, let me just tell you what's wrong with the economy. People have short term. People don't have that short of memories. They know what he said before and it didn't prove to be true. And fundamentally, I believe people lost respect for this administration and trust in this administration on the day Afghanistan happened. I like economic experts, too. I wish there were some in the White House. Right. Uh, We all saw this new report from the Committee to Unleash Prosperity showing that most of Biden's top officials have zero experience in business. It would be funny if it wasn't so terrifying. The very team that has been deployed to help us avoid a recession— and climb out of this inflationary crisis doesn't have a lot of experience dealing with it. I mean, I look at guys like Brian Deason. By the way, these people are always welcome on our show. We invite them every day. They don't send us anybody very often. Of them. Not no. very often. And, um, you know, we ask fair, challenging questions, uh, but it's, they're, they're tough to answer at this moment. But lacking experience, why not reach out to Larry Summers? <laughs> I've been saying this all along. Janet Yellen acknowledges she's been getting this inflationary problem wrong. Uh, Larry Summers has been raising the red flag on this for quite some time. But here is my point in the middle of all this, Brian. The very people that this administration from day one has said that they are setting out to help the hardworking middle class Americans. They're the ones who are going to pay for all those mistakes and all those officials who have gotten this right all along. Because guess what's going to happen? To there's going to be a lot of short term pain for long term gain. I mean, Larry Summers is making the point that we're going to have to see millions of Americans lose their jobs. Unemployment's going to have to go above five or six percent for years right. to bring that in, that down that inflation rate. Inflation was one point four percent when Joe Biden took office, right. and now we're at nine percent. So a couple of things. So when people act like they're cheering the Fed to go up seventy five or a hundred uh, percent basis points. Well, good. With the faster interest rates goes up, the faster inflation will go down. But along the way, there's people trying to buy a house, looking at their credit cards. They're already they're, pulling the plug on They're that. already pulling the plug. So it's hurting housing. And eventually, it's the people going to look around and say, I don't know if I can keep the, my employment, uh, my payrolls this large. That's the point. That's the point. Those are the people who are going to pay for these policy mistakes. 
It's going to have to happen. I mean, when you look back at history, Brian, anytime we've gotten into any severe inflationary environment, you've got to raise interest rates. Right. And the point is to hurt the economy. I mean, that there's no other way to, to paint that picture. You've got to hurt the economy and hurt demand to bring down those prices. And that would be the goal of raising those interest rates. So I don't know if people are applauding hiking the, raise, the interest rates, but they see that as a necessary evil to bring down prices. So as you know, being with your financial background, there's been pressure on these major investment firms to stay away from fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. And to the point where it actually is being good investment, but it's not a good political investment, we're looking for more environmental-friendly opportunities. So BlackRock, Vanguard, uh, uh, and State Street managed to more than $20 trillion in combined assets. So Dan Sullivan, put together with 10 co-sponsors, has introduced legislation that will require investment advisors with more than 1% of a fund shares to vote only upon the instruction of the fund's investors, not on their own discretion. He's trying to do what Kentucky's doing statewide and push these investment firms to look at oil and gas and coal because they are, sub, they are, they are I think, insidiously destroying their businesses. And I think there's pushback now in Congress to defend the people that work there. Do you think this is good? Um, look, I think people are looking at at the entire energy situation sort of, I, I said, I, I would say from sort of one view. Um, I think increasing oil supplies in this country, you're going to have to increase the willingness to invest in the fossil fuels industry Everybody's been told not to spend right. on that industry because we have an administration that's not friendly to it. I think when we're talking about increasing oil and asking Saudi Arabia for oil, I think there's a bigger picture there. I, I think we can get the oil here. We need to be able to refine it into gasoline. So you need the investment in, in the, the, refining, the refining capacity in this, in this country as well. Not seeing that yet. I mean, we're, we're maxed out as far as refi- re- refineries in this country right now. So I think it's kind of interesting what West Virginia is doing. They said if you do not uh, – they, have, they told six of the nation's largest financial institutions, including J.P. Morgan, BlackRock, and Wells Fargo, that they might not long, no longer be allowed to do business in their state of West Virginia because of their positions on fossil fuels. Mm. I just love that they're taking action instead of being victimized because there's some great people working in that business. We are better and cleaner than anybody else. We could be working on evolving there. But, Sandra, in the big picture, I'm thinking about it. They're using the pandemic to jam this stuff down our throats, and it is just not ready. Europe's realizing it's not ready. They're firing. Germany's firing up their coal plants again. That's going to be a mess. And China never stopped. Winter's going to be a mess. Right. Are we capable? The bottom line, as Bjorn Lomberg has said all along, this transition was not ready. No one was ready for this transition. Push the transition prematurely, and people pay the price. Hardworking people pay the price. That's what's happening in Europe. That's what's going to be happening here. Absolutely. So we're going to take a break and come back and find out if Sandra wants to know more. Also, if she knows her guests for her show. (laughs) I think I do. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And uh, at around 2 o'clock, 2.15, I'm going to be joining Sandra Smith and John Roberts. That's going to be exciting. But Saturday at 8 and 11, uh, One Nation, which I host, 
Uh, amongst our guests, Dr. Drew Pinsky will try to make sense of some of the president's uh, temper tantrums, as well as a lot of these superstars are tending to take some time off from great tennis player like Osaka uh, to great singers like Ed Sheeran. What's going on? Are they very strong or very weak? And we're also going to talk to Newt Gingrich, and we're also going to talk to Ambassador Nikki Haley. So, uh, Sandra Smith is here in studio. If you're smart enough to get Fox Nation, you see her. Sandra, who's coming up on your show? This is so fun to be here. And by the way, coming up, 1 o'clock Eastern time, John Roberts and myself on America Reports. We'll have Peter Ducey top the hour in Jeddah, uh, Saudi Arabia. He will uh, give us a preview of the high-stakes meeting about to happen there with President Biden and Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, also, Jerry Baker will be joining me on set. Uh, Charlie Hurt is in New York City. We'll have him weigh in on the current events of the day. Brian Kilmeade. Wow. As the bad numbers and bad news pile up for the president, uh, I believe you're going to tell me he should put in a little work. So we'll see what Kilmeade has to say, Dr. Marty McCary, and more. Tom Cotton, the senator, will be joining us top of the show. Just so we know, uh, it looks like the President Biden has fist bumped MBS. Uh-huh. Correct? Was he meet him at did he meet him at the tarmac? No. Okay. The answer is no. Sandra, let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. All right, this is bad news for both of us. Just one alcoholic drink a day could lead to Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. This according to a University of Oxford study of 21,000 people drinking seven units or more of alcohol per week displayed a connection to markers of higher iron uh, in the brain. There are groups of neurons that control motor movements, procedural learning, eye movement, and other stuff. Iron accumulation in the some areas of the brain also has a connection to poorer mental skills. I still want to drink. Uh, all I have to say is, uh-oh. We're <laughs> <laughs> in trouble. Next. Go ahead, Sandra. Oh, and I put this by you. 94% of travelers bring stinky food yeah. on a plane. A new poll of 1,000 Americans, 45% think travelers are less self-aware and ruder now than they were before 2020. And that's just an example. Man, do not, do not bring hot, stinky food on the airplane. That is drives me nuts. But I will say, I do notice that they're serving very little food these days. So that's tricky. I'm, right. They that's come tricky. down with a little basket and you try to pick a snack. And I feel kind of juvenile asking, can I take two? But this is my lunch quite often. <laughs> <laughs> right? And you think to yourself, that's good. Thanks. I mean, you have 5,000. Can't you just you scarf it me? down in the airport real quick? You know, you mean eat in before I get there? Yes. All and right. don't take your shoes off on the airplane. Nine out of 10 people say that's a no-no. Next. Seven in ten parents say their dog is just as much of a picky eater, if not pickier, than their child. Do you agree with that, Sandra? Not with my German short-haired pointer. He will eat anything you put in front of him. Human food has been banned in my household, although my children sneak it to him. True. I'm the same way. Next. Oh, oh gosh, I'm not fast enough. Okay. Researchers in Japan say people are more likely to trust strangers that look like them. <laughs> and a lot of that trustworthiness depends on the stra- the stranger's gender. Really? Interesting. So I guess uh, as we expand on this study, results suggest the average person is more likely to trust someone who's similar features, either a man looking at another man or a woman staring at the female doppelganger. The study <laughs> found simple facial features didn't factor into levels of trust with strangers of the opposite sex. This, to me, is of almost no good, especially in Japan, if you know what I'm saying. Hmm. Next. 
could a hectic household, this is a great answer for you, this is a great one for you, could a hectic household actually impair a child's brain development? A study of children 18 months to two at the University of Champaign found the youngsters eating sugary snacks and processed foods were more likely to have problems with memory and living in a household with high amounts of noise, overcrowding, disorganization, also bad. Now, how do you feel about that? I actually think this is really important and actually really serious stuff. I think nutrition is huge. But? I think schedules are great. And I think creating a calm environment for kids is really, really important. But don't you like, sometimes hectic is fun. I'm the youngest of six kids. Exactly. I know. Hectic households, and I hated it. You hated it. I don't you know. You wanted calm? I mean, I thrive in, in chaos, so I guess it helped me somehow. I, I, I could see fun and chaos. I could understand. There does, does should be adult supervision. Do we agree on that? Oh, we agree. All right, good. Next. Regularly drinking alone is a red flag for alcohol problems later on. This A new study warns. And shows that about 25% of adolescents and 40% of young adults drink alone? That's depressing. My goodness, that is depressing. And I I guess what happens is by age 35, most of these adolescents uh, end up drinking alone. 60% higher among young adults. They end up drinking alone. So just don't drink alone. Right. Do you notice that in the old shows... Anytime you watch those shows, everyone's drinking. They drink during the day. They're drinking at night. Alone? Well... Everyone has a drink in there. Yeah. Right? I mean, I mean, it's almost like an appendage. A martini. and Right. Yeah. Do you wish those times were still around? But, uh, Do you wish there was more casual They all died when they drinking? were like 60 years old. That's true. I mean, they did die young, <laughs> but they look really happy. Yeah. This um, is true. And lastly. Good message for the kids, Brian. Top lullabies are young. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> top lullabies that young parents know the words to. Number one. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. You know that one, right? I love that. Baba Black Sheep. I'm pretty sure. Do you know that, Allison? Um, Baba Black Sheep? Row, 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 you boat. Everyone knows that. Yeah. Humpty Dumpty. I thought that was only two lines. Jack and Jill. I thought that was a, that's hum- more of a poem. Humpty Dumpty's not a lullaby. It's more like a right. story, a poem. It's, do you think it's bad parenting if you need karaoke screens to <laughs> sing lullabies to your children? <laughs> that's something to think about because we're out of time. Because this music but sing to your kids. Somehow, someway. But you should really sing good. Wow, the music's getting louder. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.